episode 108, Mark Atwood. Welcome to the Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. Check out this fantastic podcast. The New Year's Eve episode. So whether you're listening to this now, New Year's Eve, I doubt it because you're probably preparing for the big night, or New Year's Day, or early January. I know there's a big thing about New Year's resolutions. Well, all I'm going to talk about is you're listening to this now, so now is the time to take action. So you might be in that mindset already. So the easy, best thing I can offer you is my little New Year's gift. Get on a strategy call. Go to adamlewiswalker.com. Click get involved. Get to the podcast. Okay, good morning, guys. We have Mark Atwood on the line today. He's an award-winning serial entrepreneur whose life has included being an RAF pilot, a stand-up comic, a journalist, a publisher, a theatre director and producer, a poet, a playwright, and a Tesco shelf stacker. So it's very varied, so it's going to be an interesting one today. His most notable business success was creating the world's first online skip hire service, which evolved into a national tour and equipment hire business called Power Hire that has employed over 300 people and he's generated over 40 million so far from online marketing techniques that Mark developed himself. He now teaches internet marketing through online courses. He's got his Technophobes Academy and runs his digital marketing agency Atwood Digital remotely from Marrakesh in Morocco where he lives with his wife, five little children, two peacocks called Phil and Heidi, a dog called Scabby, a cat called Shania and a donkey called Prunella. (laughs) Did I get that all right? Yeah, you got it right. But there's been some additions actually, because my, my wife's turned this into an animal sanctuary. There's, there's another <laughs> couple of cats, one of which is pregnant, and uh, another two dogs. I've got to squeeze this last bit in as well. It's, it's, you're also embarking on a project to build an eco school in Morocco, so we can find out a bit more about that once we get stuck in. But firstly, Mark, are you ready to awaken your alpha? Yes, I am. Is there anything you'd like to add there? It sounds like we was quite thorough there. There's probably loads of other things, but um, they'll they'll come to me as we speak because. Um, uh, I'm the kind of person that, you know, it's quite funny, actually. I got, a, I got a Facebook message the other day from an old friend who I made a couple of films with when I was in my 20s. He, he went on to become a successful TV producer. He said, I've seen all this stuff about you in Marrakesh. Is it real? If so, I'm interested in making a, a documentary about you in Marrakesh with all the other people in Morocco. And uh, I said, oh, I'm not sure about that. And he, and he sent me, the, he sent me the, the proposal and it said, um, he wants to call it Costa del Morocco. <laughs> um, you know what kind of program it's going to be and, and, he, and he showed me the pitch that he was going to put to the TV companies he said uh, Mark Abbott was a failed actor a failed poet a failed, <laughs> <laughs> failed all these things and then finally found success with Skip Hire which um, <laughs> it's quite funny how people see those things as failures because you didn't stick to it I mean I, I did all those things because I was like well I'm going to be a pilot I did that and I know what to get out because I, I, I evolved I realised I didn't want to kill anybody so I resigned and then I became a poet. I didn't know what that meant, but that ended up leading to a book and a tour. That led to stand-up comedy. I did that for a bit, just for fun. That led to TV shows, TV pilots. Um, I directed in the West End. I had two TV pilots made um, that got transmitted. I achieved everything I wanted to do, and then I moved on. And then Skips came about by accident. I don't know anything about Skips. Well, I do now, but... Um, <laughs> I, was gonna say, I bet you do now, yeah. I do now. I, I'm the BBC's voice of Skipper whenever they, they want to interview somebody about something to do with Skips. But... It's a very short life. Yeah. And I want to, you know, I want to taste all of it. It's probably why I've got five kids. 
<laughs> yeah. Remember what did, what did you want to be or what did you expect or think you was going to be when you was growing up? Was there ever any uh, a career path when you was younger? Was well, it- I was born in a council house in Northamptonshire. Yeah. And um, my whole my whole family's history on but on one side it just the labor go all the way back to the doomsday book and the whole family never left the village that I was brought up in. And the other side of the family was a mixture of um it was basically Irish immigrants who labourers as well. I mean, it was just a, a very working class family. I, I always knew I didn't want to be, I didn't want to stay there. And I, I looked out the window when I was seven years old. And one of the, we had one of those mobile classrooms. And I was looking out the window and we were on a flight path and I saw these Harriers go past the window. And I was like, I'm going to fly one of those. And then I just told everybody that I was going to, what I was actually doing, was I was practicing the law of attraction, but I didn't know what it was called, right? There was, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind that that's what I was going to achieve at all, even though everybody told me it was impossible, except my mum. My mum, I was very, very lucky. My mum, for some reason, just said to me, you can do anything you want. And I believe I'm very grateful to her for that. And I, I just went on and did what I wanted. And when I decided I wanted to leave, I left. And I was the first person to leave in 70 years from my position. And everybody thought I was mad to do that. And then everybody thought I was mad to get on stage. Everybody thought I was mad... I just saw, I still do, I just see life as this big adventure. Yeah. And I want to improve, I feel like I'm here on earth to improve myself and to help people in whatever way I can. You've been in the RAF, how about, how, did, how long did that take and was that as tough as you expected? Did you think at one stage, this is it, you was going to be a pilot and that was, that was going to be the career? That was all I was ever going to do. Yeah. And I knew, you know, I mean, there was one point when I, I remember being based in the Akrotiri in Cyprus and I was... I'd met this Swedish girl and the, the morning after we were in the sea and she was crying and it, because I said, I can't stay with you. I'm married to the RAF. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was totally brainwashed, but um, I resigned before I finished my training. You see, one of the things that happened to me was that uh, my dad died at the age of 37 and I turned off his life support machine because my mum was lost a plot. He had a brain hemorrhage. I was 17. Yeah. So what, everything everything all the brainwashing disappeared because everything sort of blew up some things became very mature some things stayed mature and it was a real spiritual experience for me that i've been exploring ever since which is yeah you know, how can you and i didn't expect to live you know i just because if anybody listening to this has had a parent die when they're young you kind of accept, expect that to happen to you so i didn't expect to get to 37 i i got into you know a very hedonistic uh, 20s my 20s and I was also very emotionally detached from people and I was a bit of a dickhead I was you know I was quite egotistical and yeah. you know I was just growing up you know I was, I was wondering because obviously it's not something you just sort of can go at it 50% or part-time trying to be a RAF pilot is full-on it sounds like where you was you know fully black brainwashed and really into it and that's why I was wondering what what snapped or what changed or because uh, that's quite a commitment the awakening moment and that I mean, that situational, with obviously your dad passing, that sounds like when it all just completely shifted this, this journey, this story, really. It did. And there were two of my friends committed suicide as well within a very short space Mine. of time. One yeah. crashed his plane on purpose and uh, the other one stabbed himself through the heart of a kitchen knife, all because of the pressures from the military on them. And then I saw the military cover that up. And, wow. and it, just, it just dawned on me that you are just a number. Yeah. And since then, I spent 25 years working out you know, who do you actually work for? Because, you know, when I saw the first Iraq war, I was like, this isn't a war. Mm. This is something else. And then all the subsequent wars and all the things since 9-11, you know, you're not working for the British people. You're working for the interests of corporations 
that control the government and, and the royal family. And, you know, they're all very corrupt and very, very bad. And, you know, I'm very glad I got out of it because I've had a very rich life since. How long did this kind of, were you, felt, did you feel a bit lost for? Because obviously, I'm sure, I'm assuming you didn't go straight from sort of quitting the RAF to then going on to sort of TV producing or film, film producing. No, How, I mean, what, what I did first is I, became, I was a journalist first and yeah. that might be off the list. So I want to say a journalist. I, I, was, I was writing uh, independent articles and sending them off to newspapers and magazines, getting a few public, and I was writing for the student magazine at the Polytechnic in Manchester, which is where I went as a university cadet. And um, I got voted on to edit the student magazine for a year in Manchester, which was a, a you know, it's a big magazine. It was circulation of like 20,000. Manchester's the biggest student population in Europe. And then I got headhunted to go and work at the Daily Telegraph. And I worked there when the Lockerbie bomb happened. I was sat across the guy who was reporting on it. And that put me off journalism for life. So I'd watched Dead Poets Society. Do you remember that film, Robin yeah, Williams? Yeah, Robin Williams. Uh, it was a great film, but I was like thinking, screw the Dead Poets. What about the Live Poets? So I set up this thing called the Live Poets Society. And I put up a sign around Manchester and this kind of room full of people that turned up and I said, come out the closet as a poet. You know, you don't have to be some wisty fellow that lives in the hills, you know, come yeah. out. And, <laughs> and, you know, and I, started, I got laughs when the poets, when I was in my poetry, even though a lot of it was very serious. And that led to doing, that led to doing stand-up comedy, which I I'd never seen. You know, the only stand-up comic I knew was Tommy Cooper. And oh, quality. a bit of a Lexi sale on the young ones, but which I didn't realise was stand-up yeah. comedy. That's a good way to get into it, like you say, just reading your poetry and if uh, just to happen, people found it funny, <laughs> just laughing. Yeah, yeah. Natural evolution. I set up my first business, actually, when I was 21 or 22, and it was, um, it was a magazine. So I've always published magazines, funnily yeah. enough. I used to do them at school. I love publishing magazines. That's why I think I've ended up in internet marketing, because internet marketing is publishing, mm. you know, just technical publishing. It's publishing with a technical angle. So I published this magazine for the courier industry. Again, I'm very good at going into industries that I, have no, I know nothing about. And then I sold that after about three issues. And I ran the first national courier industry exhibition at the NEC when I was like 22. And I did that. Ah, I mean, that's just, uh, what was the question? <laughs> oh, Skipfire. Was, Skipfire. Would you class so, um, your yeah. Skipfire as the first one? Well, apart from obviously you sold the magazine, which is good. Tell us how the Skip Hire thing came about. I did that magazine. Then I had a theatre company for years, and that did really well. I mean, it wasn't for making money. It was just to facilitate putting on shows. And I, I toured the UK in a play called Rita Sue and Bob 2, where 40,000 people paid, paid to see my bare ass pumping up and down on two women, um, <laughs> which was funny. I thought, I haven't got time to go to drama school. I haven't got money to go to drama school. I'm just going to hire a theatre, put a play on, see what happens. And yeah. we did that. We sold out and sold out. And the reason we sold out is because I looked at the marketing and the marketing for these theatres was rubbish. So I just put these massive posters up and I had to go and pay these gangsters around the back streets, dodgy cash, and, you know, <laughs> hope they didn't shoot me. And, and people did get shot. And we, and we filled these theatres and it was because of that that um, I realised I had a knack for marketing. And um, in 1999, I set up my own marketing agency. I know that was very successful. I made more money with that than anything I'd ever done, but I, I was bored with it and I didn't yeah. like kissing ass of corporate people that had to spend their budgets and didn't care where it got spent. I mean, it's just a big waste. I, but I had been involved in setting up a website during the dot-com boom called whatwedo.com in 99. And then I took on this business partner. My business partner said to me, the internet's dead after the bubble crashed. And I, <laughs> That's it. And I went, I went, I don't think so. I don't think, <laughs> uh, I think we've just not got it right so far. Yeah. What I was passionate about was how this tool could be used to build a business and while i was in that mindset you know that gloopy stuff was going around in my head i met this woman who's now downstairs mother of my five children before we got married her dad was a gruff 
bloke from Longside in Manchester, and he had a waste transfer station. Mm-hmm. And he had 100 skips, and he said, hey, you're on market. Take them and market my skips. And I, was, <laughs> I said, what the f- skip? And he said, it's a big metal box. You put shit in it, we take it away. And I was like, okay. So I went on Google, skip hire, nothing there, or nothing wow. really. And I said, uh, I've got an idea. And, he's, and I said, we'll create a website that's like EasyJet. It'll be, um, people can order it online. You, we'll set an 0800 number. Um, none of this existed. You know, skip hire mm-hmm. companies wouldn't answer the phone. If they did, they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> like, hire a skip. Dave! You know, it's like that. <laughs> me and my wife were ringing them up at the same companies and she was getting charged more than me because she was a woman. I mean, it's just backwards. Yeah. So you can't afford my fees. Give, you fund it and I'll build it. Right, so he funded it, I built it. And then that just, it just took off. And then it was mental. For 10 years, it was just mental. That's evolved now into sort of uh, a slightly different company, isn't it now? It's just equipment hire, all general equipment. Well, no, it's still skip hire, but the thing is, I started with the skips because I was aiming at Doris. Um, I didn't realize there were these big companies that wanted skips all over the place for big jobs. Yeah. And then after listening to them, I realized they wanted toilets. They wanted asbestos removing. They wanted... Uh, they wanted everything to do with construction sites so I rebranded it as Pal Hire about three years ago and put put everything under one roof and and then we got the managers of that company to run it and they're running it we got an investor he's doing the finances we're in Morocco they're doing and their business is growing and doing nicely but we don't have anything to do with it anymore because it was driving us nuts because we never set it we never wanted to be managing a call centre you know yeah. it's not not what we wanted to do you know I like, I like projects. I like new yeah, ideas. And it sounds like it's a bit of a giant now as well. Like you say, it could be a nightmare to run if you were involved in it on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not great at running businesses. I'm great at creating businesses. Yeah. So I'm great at it, but, you know, I've, I've been <laughs> a lot of creating businesses. Well, there haven't been, apart from obviously you said your mum believed in you when you was really young and obviously when you was growing up as well. This is our sort of our Yoda question. Who helped you, apart from your mum, who helped you awaken your alpha? And where did all this belief come from, apart from your mum? Because it sounds like, like you say, you, if you can think of it, you just went for it and you're quite happy to change. Well, I've always been a very powerful manifester. The thing is, when I apply myself to stuff, I, I, I'm good at it if I apply myself to it. Yeah. And that's not, hopefully that's not a cocky thing. So, I mean, you know, obviously when I don't, when I'm not good at something, I stop doing it. So I don't talk about the things I'm not good at. The Air Force gave me a lot of confidence because um, I got the highest grade they'd given out in about 23 years. With, with a, you know, I was tested by this X-Red Arrows pilot and um, uh, that was part of the reason why I left. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, if I'm this good, I, I could go and do something else. Instead of just... <laughs> Did you ever latch on to someone in any of these industries who you thought was there maybe like a little bit more experienced than you and you sort of followed them to get advice or is anything like, has there ever been a figure like that? There were a couple of guys. The... There was the, the millionaire in uh, America that I was going to see. His name was Randall, and he was Eng- an English guy. Yeah. And uh, he had a, you know, looking back on his life, he's had a very similar life. He, you know, he's just been, he was in charge of a genetics company in the 80s in America, and then he was in charge of the agriculture of Africa in, a bit later. And, you know, he's just done loads, yeah. loads of crazy things. And I think I got from him that you could just, you can do a project, sell out, move on, do something else. I don't think he had the same morals that I've got, but you know, looking back on it, that was that showed me that that kind of thing was possible. Yeah, that there explains also, a bit, actually. <laughs> yeah, and there was also a German chef called Karl Hermann Vadsack, and he was a loud, funny German guy that owned this restaurant down in Hampshire, and he taught me about cooking, and the levels of excellence that he took food to were just amazing. And I think that, that taught me a lot about 
attention to detail and um, you know I think there's a I do I do food analogies a lot with life I think food's extremely important and um, the way that I approach my marketing for example I often use like analogies to do with recipes and stuff like that so those guys inspired me but when it came to business the only people that were around me were sharks you know there were people, I found business extremely distasteful well, after I'd done the publishing business I thought that's it I'm done with money so I thought I'm just going to do theatre and I'm going to write plays and I'm going to do all that and I did all that but then I got to 30 and I was like, I just looked in the mirror and said, right, you need to earn some money now because if you don't earn some money, you're never going to be able to do anything like this and you're just going to become a victim like all these other people are. Yeah. And then I don't like the money system. The money system is bullshit, but this is the system we're in. Yeah. So I'm going to create something that will hopefully enable me one day to be able to write and explore and then meet, you know, like you're doing now, speak to other people, get all those influences in. And I think... That's when it really kicked off for me. I found this guy in America called Perry Marshall, who'd written a book called The Ultimate Guide to AdWords. So I just got on a plane to Chicago and I went and met him and I learned AdWords inside out. And then I, the master became, the, the pupil became the master because I, I had a call with him one day and I said, look at what I've done, Perry. And he was like, uh, I can't improve on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think what changed my life was I locked myself in a room for two days and just built a massive AdWords campaign from scratch. And I, I am uncannily good at AdWords. That's really what builds, is the fundamental thing that builds everything I've ever done online. And then from there, I got ripped off by an SEO company, so I had to go and learn SEO. And I just started spending money on people that were doing course, obscure courses. Back then, it was obscure. And nowadays, everybody seems to be doing internet marketing stuff. Your current business at the moment is obviously, you talked about it's internet marketing. So what are some of the, and we touched on a few like very specific things there, what are some of the key mistakes you see people or businesses making when it comes to internet marketing? You said AdWords are really important. Two women came in to see me last year when I was still based in Manchester and they'd spent £80,000 on a website that didn't work, that shouldn't have cost more than six, £7,000. Yeah. They're just being screwed. I mean, it's like in the land of the um, blind, the one-eyed man is king. So there's all these agencies out there who want to sell something for a really high price, high profits without any care or interest in whether you're doing it right. So what mistakes do I see people making? I see people, I say, I say to people, the last person you should go to if you want a website built is a website designer, because it's like going to a, a painter and decorator and asking them to build your house. That's called your architects. The first thing you've got to do is keyword research. And you've got to organize those keywords. You've got to put them into a structure that Google likes. And then you've got to go and create massive amount of content. Small businesses in the UK, they could build a very, very powerful business just by creating keyword optimized videos. You don't even need a website. Yeah. Right? So, you know, these kind of things that people could do for free, yet what they do is they, they go, I don't understand it. I'll pass it over to this guy. Or they go and cheat the website built for 10 quid. Why it doesn't work. I mean, you know, what my courses are about, my tech photos guide to internet marketing success is all about covering the found, a foundational course in the eight, what I call the eight pillars of internet marketing wisdom, which is, Start with the keyword research, then build a site that's on WordPress, always on WordPress, which is great open source software that is, that is built in a way that Google's going to love it from the ground up. Start blogging before the website's ready so that you've got content that's being indexed. Make sure you understand what conversion rate optimization is and, and how to maximize the number of people that respond. I mean, this is all about intentional marketing, by the way. This is not about manipulative marketing. This is a, what I like is businesses where people are solving a problem or they're adding to society or they're doing something yeah. that's a better place with what they do. So I help people like that. You know, if you get, if you've got somebody who's got doing something well, then there are, there are, there are tr trillions of keywords out there that you can optimize the content for. And most of the people aren't doing this. And 
it's really that's what I like about the internet. It's, it sort of democratizes business and still does to some degree, despite all the monolithic um, blue cities like Facebook rising out from the wilderness of the internet and destroying, <laughs> um, destroying the beauty of the internet. Um, you know, this is our problem. This is what concerns me the most about the way people are happy to give away their data and the NSA is reading everything. They're all spying on us. And this is all bad stuff. But there's a lot of good stuff going on as well. Okay. Um, and then, and then just understanding that, that if you weave all this stuff together and you create content and use ad, ad, using AdWords as a laboratory, I mean, one of the key things I tell to people is you must learn AdWords. Don't just give it to somebody. For God's sake, don't let Google build it for you because Google trains people, including their own staff, to use AdWords in a way that makes Google more money. And, it, <laughs> and I get quite cross about this because we, as entrepreneurs, we need to be um, free thinking. We need to be taking responsibility. We are sovereign human beings, right? Yeah. But, we are crushed through the educational system to defer to authority at all times. I mean, we think that Google and Facebook are free, but they're not free because the cost is our privacy and our data. That's a good and point. That's yeah, that's a very good cost, right? But we, because we think it's free, we don't think that all information should be free, but that's not true either because information has a value. So, you know, my advice to people is invest in your knowledge and don't just let somebody do it for you because they tell you that they're good at it. Very good point. Very good point. Okay, well, we're going to mix it up now. This is the, the yin-yang round, so it's a bit of a change of pace. It's just we get to find out a little bit more about you, and uh, I'll give you some 50-50 options, and we'll just see where you go on these. All right. Okay. Start off I'm, nice and easy. I'm nervous now. <laughs> Don't worry. Oh. Morocco or USA? Morocco. Um, London or Paris? Mm, Paris. Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger? Oh, Sylvester Stallone. Facebook or YouTube? YouTube. LinkedIn or Google Plus? Ooh, neither. <laughs> Twitter or Facebook? Ooh, Facebook. Indian curry or Thai curry? Oh, that's a both. I mean. <laughs> So, if you had to have it tonight, what are you eating tonight? Oh, it depends who's cooked it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thai curry. I know you said you're a foodie, so I thought I'd get that in there. Okay. Yeah. Fish and chips or roast? Roast. Yeah, I say it's the season of roast now. Yeah. Um, Not here, it isn't. <laughs> we're going to find out more about. Yeah, we haven't even touched on what you're doing in Morocco yet. But we get to that. Um, <laughs> this is this is the complete blank around. So you've just got to complete my blanks. And finish the sentence, and again, we'll find out a little bit more about you. Okay. Okay. Your best friend would describe you as? Enthusiastic. The last time you were drunk or merry was? Yesterday. What day was yesterday? Uh, I don't know. That's I was drunk. <laughs> it's Morocco. It's good. That's a Sunday. It's, anyway, anything of note or just an average Sunday? That was just an average Sunday. <laughs> Quality. Okay. Your best or your favorite film of all time is? Oh, oh, a matter of life and death. What one's that? David Niven, 1946, I, I think. Say, I'm pretty good at my films. I, I, didn't, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it makes, makes me cry within the first three minutes. What's, what's that about? It's about a World War II um, a Lancaster bomber pilot who's flying back to England from a sortie and uh, everybody on his ship is dead and he's about to bail out, but there's only one parachute. No parachute, so he has to jump out of the plane. And on his way over, he talks to this American woman on the air traffic control. This is probably because I used to be a pilot. So, yeah. And anyway, he falls in love with the woman. 
over the radio, they fall in love with each other, and then he jumps out of the plane, and then he wakes up alive on a beach, and um, then he has to go to court in heaven to prove that the only reason he doesn't, he shouldn't go to heaven, is because of the angels' ineptitude in catching him. This rings the bell. I know I haven't seen it, but I think I saw this on one. Of, you know, they do these um, <laughs> this time of year. They do them like top hundred films of all time, and they just give yeah. you little clips and give you. I, I recognise it from there. It sounds very unique and original. It, yeah, I mean, it was groundbreaking in, in, the, in, in the technology that they use. But I, I, I'm a massive David Niven fan as well. So you know, everybody should read David Niven's autobiographies. They're amazing. Cool. If I was ever to visit Morocco, I should. You should. Um... What should you do? You should, you should go up the Atlas Mountains like I did yesterday and go skiing in a hot country that's really... Oh, really yeah, great. that's not the sort of thing people think of at all. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's like a well-kept secret. It's absolutely... The Atlas Mountains are absolutely beautiful. Quality. Well, we're pretty much to the alpha round now. So this is where you're going to give us any tools, tricks and resources. And we like to start that off with a particular book recommendation that you think is either one of your favourite books or you think might be useful to people listening to this episode. Well, I think um, if anybody's in business listening to this, that everybody should read Professor Robert Cialdini. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's about the law of reciprocity and it's called Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. Brilliant. Have you, had Have you had that one before? Yeah, that's come up a couple of times. But no, that means it's, it's when they keep popping up, it's like more reason people should read them, definitely. I mean, I've been recommending that for years. If, if, if not, um, I think everybody should read Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Oh, what's that one? It's a, a very short book about a seagull who he was getting told that he can't fly at supersonic speed, but he ignores everybody and he does. <laughs> I love it. It's a very spiritual book. It's a, it's a beautiful book. Is there a particular resource? I mean, we talked before the interview and there's, uh, there's something you mentioned that I have not heard of. Is there a particular resource that you could recommend for us? Well, if anybody's, yeah, I mean, this is really a website thing, but if anybody's got a website, I recommend Moz, M-O-Z.com, because yeah. if you get your website in there, you track the keywords, you track your authority, it tells you where to fix things. I mean, from, from an internet marketing point of view, that's one of my favorite resources. It's a really strong resource. I like that old recommendation. The best SEO software on the planet, and I couldn't live without it. Brilliant. Well, I'm in my work in life, obviously. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Brilliant. Is there a particular alpha quote a success quote that's taking you through all these adventures and will take you onto many more i'm sure is there anything that springs to mind that's easy um the, the the one the one piece of um writing that has got me through life is if by rudyard kipling it's a poem have you heard of it i haven't i've heard of obviously the man behind it but i haven't heard the poem look it up it's amazing uh, that was given to me by the woman that owned our village when my mum was a cleaner at her house and she gave it to me when I was 10 years old and it's just got me through so many situations but it's too long to do as a quote so oh, I was going to say damn I thought he was going to read it to us there. You know, if there's a quote uh, there's a very good video of Dennis Hopper doing it on YouTube actually but if there's, a, if there's a quote I think it's one by Henry Ford where he said whether you think you can or whether you think you can't you're right yeah love it I like the one as well he did uh, where he's basically if he'd listened to the customers everyone yeah. still driving around like flipping car <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. Who do you think I should interview next or very soon? We usually look for a, a cup, maybe a couple of recommendations, and could be a, we look for a male, a female, and what you think an unreachable from your network. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like you to interview Russell Brand. Would that be your unreachable potentially? Well, potentially, yeah. Um, I say, based on your quote, though, like you said, if whether I, if I believe I can get him or I can't, don't believe it. It's probably right. Yeah, Russell Brand. Yeah. My own network, I think you should interview Shah Wasman. Do you know Shah? No. 
shaa.com. Go and check her out. She's amazing. Uh, was the second name Wasmund, did you say? Yeah, W W A S M U N D. Um, or Ben Hunt's more than the king of web design, but he is the king of web design. He's just written a book about <laughs> how to be rich today, which is very he's written quite a few books actually on web marketing, but also on life and Okay, a, brilliant. What is what is Shah what does Shah Wasman get up to? She's one of Britain's best selling business authors. She wrote Stop Talking, Start Doing, which was on the number one number one in WH Smith for fourteen months, which was record breaking. Now got publishing deals all across the world and she started smarter.com which is a uh, online resource for startups and small businesses and she was also Chris Eubanks manager she was the first female boxing promoter in the world with a market. wow that is a very that is going to be an interesting story massively uh, so are you uh, in contact with these two guys yeah 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 she's good they're both good friends of mine she's uh, they're both excellent people Brilliant. Oh, that's well, there's some really strong recommendations. I love Chris Eubank anyway. He's a, he's a serious character. <laughs> I'm not that far from Brighton. And uh, yeah, so he used to drive around his massive... He's truck, doesn't he? Yeah, he's an 18-wheeler, just keeping a low profile 18-wheeler <laughs> on the seafront. <laughs> in his, like, yeah, in his, with his monocle and his, yeah. I'm a naked gentleman. Oh, man. <laughs> I miss him. Yeah, he's awesome. Right, oh, that's, it's been an absolute pleasure today. It, tell me how Morocco got into this story, apart from you just probably wanted some sun, if you're from you know, Do you know what? I, I could spin you loads of yarns, but I'll tell you the truth, right? So um, I'm a big fan of retreats. Um, when you've got five kids, you need to be. And <laughs> I, I went on a retreat in Devon, which was a fast, um, about 18 months ago. And uh, I got back from this retreat, and I'd spent a week in Devon in January or February, freezing cold, not eating any food, no food for five, six days. Came back very healthy, um, and my wife sat there, and I said, you should, I said, look, you know, we were stressed out with the business and the kids and everything, and I said, you know, go on a retreat. She said, I can't, I've got the kids. I said, just go, I'll sort the kids out. So she came back, I thought she'd come back of a weekend in Wales. She came back and said, I'm going to go to the Sahara for a week, and I went, okay. So she, she went off to the Sahara uh, on this yoga meditation retreat, came back and said, right, we're moving to Morocco. And I went, Okay. <laughs> Um, I mean, all I knew about Morocco, to be honest, at that point was that it was a, a, a place where you could purchase certain types of drugs and a place where men went to find younger men. Um, that's all I knew about the place. So I was completely, I didn't have a clue about it. And this is funny because, you know, this seemed like an impossible thing. And then before you know it, we're here. So, and it's amazing. It's a beautiful place. And it's not what I thought it was at all. And it's just a really interesting adventure living in a country, an Islamic country, which most people are terrified of because of all the propaganda that goes on in the UK. And the people are kind and lovely and the, it's just a wonderful place. Yeah, how long have you been there then? I've been here for nearly five months. Five months, oh, so you're just settling in, so. Yeah, wow. just settling in. But it's, uh, it's a really good adventure and it's good for the kids. We've got these young kids, we want them to grow up as, we've always wanted to move country anyway. So Morocco just seemed like, why not? And. Yeah. You know, we might not stay here forever. We, we, you know, want the kids to grow up knowing different cultures, knowing the world, speaking different languages, stuff that I never got the chance to do. And that's part of the reason why we're building a school here. We built a school, actually, um, which is, uh, you know, it's got a two-to-one teacher-student ratio. The kids are learning super fast. Wow. And they're yeah. following their passions and they're doing extra curriculum. I mean, they're just, I've never seen them so happy. And, they're in, you know, they're having fresh vegetable juice every day. There's no... There's no Coke machines. There's no snack bars. This is a kind of place where it's a it's a place where you can be a pioneer. It's um, yeah. develop Africa's developing at a rapid rate. I mean, this is a bit like living in a medieval country with spaceships. You know, 
it's, it's horse, donkey and cart on one hand, mobile phone on the other. You know, yeah. it's, it's a fascinating place to live. And I've done England. I gave everything I could to England. I, I paid over £10 million in taxes. You know, it's, no, it's no, Africa place. sounds like a really good show. I absolutely love Africa. That's my, uh, when I went traveling, that's my favorite continent. Actually. It's amazing. It's the cradle of humanity. It's wonderful. Brilliant. Okay, well, what's the best way people can connect with you if they want to find out more about all your adventures and different things you're up to now? Well, I've got a blog on markatwood.com. That's a good place. That's a good place to start. Okay, perfect. I think, I think that links to everything else. So, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to talk to us just before Christmas, and this will be coming out uh, probably in that weird time between Christmas and New Year. So, well, it's a real pleasure. thank you, Adam. No worries. Check out this fantastic podcast. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. The Alpha Ultimatum, my 10-week malperformance mentoring. I can help you physically and mentally get there quicker. If that's something you want to take further with me, jump on the Alpha Ultimatum with me and we'll take it to the next level together as your coaching mentor. I'd love to be working shoulder to shoulder. Claim a limited strategy session with me. Go to adamlewiswalker.com, click get involved, and you have the application form right there. Thank you so much for listening today. Please connect with all the social media with Awaken Your Alpha. It's Facebook, Awaken Your Alpha. Twitter, at Awaken Your Alpha. Instagram as well is at Awaken Your Alpha. So all some great ways to stay in touch. But please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a little review. It takes literally 60 seconds, but we really appreciate your feedback and it will help us continue to grow and get stronger. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. 2015, here we come, guys.